Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Kevin Schulte. Kevin founded GreenSpark with his best friends in 2002 and was named CEO in 2008. By 2015, he had led the company to 11th fastest growing business in Rochester and reached the top spot on the Rochester Chamber of Commerce's fastest growing companies in 2017. He provides the leadership, vision, and passion that drives the growth and success for the company. Kevin serves on the boards of the Amicus Solar Cooperative and New York's Alliance for Clean Energy. Kevin has been recognized locally, statewide, and nationally for his contributions to the growth of the distributed wind industry, including being named the inaugural recipient of the Community Wind Innovator Award in 2011. While Kevin's leadership can be calculated in megawatts, he would point to being named Rochester's top workplace in 2017 as his highest professional accomplishment. Kevin's vision of creating a values-led, mission-driven company is contagious and resulted in not only the Top Workplaces Award, but also in receiving the Leadership Award from Rochester's Top Workplaces, as voted on by the entire team at GreenSpark. A 2000 graduate of JMU's School of Integrated Science and Technology, Kevin and his wife, Erin Kate, have two boys, Arden and Keller, and live in Webster, New York with their pup, Gus. Kevin is an avid Philadelphia sports fan. He, I was building up. Everything was good, good, good until that. As a Mets fan, I just, I just, I can't. You can have your football, but uh, I, can, I can't celebrate the Phillies. How do the standings look so far? <laughs> Not our year. They're just like, just like most. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So, um, I, I, you know, you started in 2002 I, in a, um, I, I believe I remember that it wasn't solar when you started, you were, you were wind, right? But what inspired this kind of, this, this founding of an energy company back then? So, uh, you know, we started this company with a couple of years of history in the renewable energy world. So myself, my partners, George and Ernie, a gentleman named Joe and Lauren, that when we started the company, um, we're all out working in the utility scale wind business. Um, by the time we started GreenSpark, uh, which was sustainable energy developments in 2002, we collectively had done almost a gigawatt of wind around the Western United States. And, and that all fell out of what we studied in college and undergrad. And actually, you know, I started on this journey um, literally with the first graph in the first class I took at James Madison. So the first graph that was put in front of me in, in my first class was the chart about climate change, about what happens when we put carbon in the air and, and how, um, you know, greenhouse gas, the greenhouse gas effect and how it collects heat and, and keeps it in. And I said, oh, this is a problem. And I was there to be a doctor. And so, um, you know, and, and then funny enough, the professor that was teaching that class is Dr. Jamie Weinbreak, who is the dean of liberal arts now at RIT. Okay. So he, he followed me to Rochester. <laughs> So it, it started then, and um, when we started the business in 2002, frankly, renewables were as a as a business were in its were in their infancy. Um, so even at 23, 24 years old, we were sort of dinosaurs, having had the experience of two or three years out after college out in the industry, and so we were sort of ready to come here to New York, and New York was the location because. Governor Pataki said we should come here, you know, and he was he was driving renewable energy policy at that time in a way that we thought New York would be at the forefront. Wow. Okay. So I know that you've gone through a few different different rebrands and name changes. You said it started as uh, sustainable energy developments. Uh, that that was actually when I first started. Because full disclosure, I'm I'm a customer of uh, of, of now Green Spark, but I've had a few different lawn signs uh, over over the years. So uh, tell us a little bit about you. You then uh, became part of of or, or were looking at becoming part of Sun Common, right? 
Yeah, so so we started the business as a wind energy consultancy. Uh, we grew and became a distributed wind installer from about 2007 to 2012. We were the largest distributed wind installer in the country. Um, as the cross, uh, as the cost curves crossed for wind and solar, and solar became cheaper from a consumer perspective than wind, we said, well, we've got to get on that train. I don't want someone to call our office and say, I want a wind turbine, and, and us say, well, you know, it's too hard to site or it's more expensive or whatever. So, so we added solar in 2011, 2012. Pretty quickly, we went from the commercial business where we were doing distributed wind to a consumer-facing business where we were doing residential solar. We started that business in 2013. And, you know, what, what we've always dedicated ourselves to is the, is the challenge of climate change. And so um, via our um, partnerships in the solar industry, we met a group of people that were really dialed in on the consumer side of solar. How do we get this messaging out to people that want to buy solar? And we saw that as an avenue to increase our impact on the fight to reduce climate change. And so we endeavored to merge our business uh, with actually it started as a three business merger to become a regional northeastern powerhouse in the solar business between Rochester and Maine. And we rebranded aggressively to try and get that done. We rebranded as an entry into that process in, into that process um you know for one reason or another it wasn't going to work out and so we divorced that process uh a little over a year ago about 15 or 16 months ago and um we wanted to stay consumer friendly so we didn't want to go back to sustainable energy developments which sounds like you know you're sort of a a contractor um we wanted a consumer face and so green spark uh, when our local marketing, local B Corp marketing firm, This Good World, came to us and, and suggested the name, universally the founders <clears throat> and our marketing people said, "Done. That's it." It was it was really obvious at that point. So nice. So there's the evolution of our name. Okay. Know, so. Okay. And and t- tell tell us a little bit about kind of the the evolution of the business as well, because I know that there there was the the focus purely on residential. You're now trying to build more into the into the commercial side. What, what, what kinds of things are you really focused on these days? Well, that's actually upside down. So we, we started commercially. So both in wind and solar, our first projects were commercial. And um, really the, the impetus for building a consumer-facing business was, was number one, um, fr- frankly, it's sort of like a, a much steadier sort of cash business. So running a project every day. I mean, our crews now complete three or four projects a week. And so just having that as an engine to your margins and to your profits is really, is really valuable and really important. But, but what really drove the, the, the thing here was, as you sort of said, the business was started by myself and my friends, which my college roommates, frankly, by the nature of that, we're all the same age. We all got married around the same time. We all started having children, uh, come into our families around the same time. And we just couldn't get up and fly to Kansas to build a wind turbine every Monday and come back every Friday anymore. We wanted to build our business locally. We also, a bunch of us married local women. And so we know we're going to be here. So this became our adopted home. We knew that there wasn't going to be, you know, we had already come from Albany and, and, and up to here, we weren't going to move again. So the reality was we had to build a business in our home that kept us here so we didn't have to leave every day. And so those really drove and, and, and that led us to, 
well, let's build solar at all these people's houses. There's a million and a quarter people here in Rochester and the greater Rochester area. Like, let's get it to them. That that keeps us here. Great. Well, we're, we're lucky to have you. And, and, and that was one of the things I wanted to, to ask you as well, because obviously sustainability to some extent has been a focus from the start of, of the business just by the nature of your business. But um, what about culture? Because I, I know that you're a B Corp. I know that you focus a lot on culture. You, you, you know, in the intro, talks about the, the Top Workplaces Award. Was that always a focus or was that kind of some intentional shift or evolution? We're, again, I'll, I'll take you back to 2002. It's a bunch of buddies, right? So... My business partners are my best friend. To the to this day, most Saturday nights we have our families to get our families together and have dinner together. My my sister works in the business. Many of the people are friends and and and, and get together on a regular basis. So we started there. So when you start with the foundation of like we're friends first, like that's going to drive a lot. I don't think it was intentional in 2002. It probably didn't start to become intentional until we started to hire people we didn't know, which, you know, happened over time between, you know, I I don't even know when it frankly it started. I mean, our interns were, you know, when we started out, our interns were coming in from James Madison. They were, you know, younger than us and coming up through the line. So it was, it was all sort of, it was really built like a family business. And so one of the first decisions we made was we said, look, we're 23 years old. We can't pay ourselves very much, but we do physical work. We need healthcare. Like we've got to make sure that everyone that comes to work for this company is fully insured to be taken care of. And so it was one of the first really early on decisions that we made. And like, it's just little things like that, that sort of started to drive our culture to ensure that caring and the quality of life of our people was um, really going to be the impetus to our success. Yeah. Well, and I think that I, I think that a lot of businesses probably start that way, that it's, you know, or, or at least kind of that that prototypical, you know, story that gets told of me and my buddies, you know, working out of the garage sort of a thing. Um, so what were some of the what were some of the challenges in trying to, to scale that culture as you as you were growing? And, you know, how did did you find ways to hire people that were going to be, you know, aligned and contribute positively to that culture? How do you how did you grow? Really, really deliberately is the answer. So we have been, um, and, and, I, and I can think back to a specific hire, a woman named Michael Herrick, who worked for us from, and I'm going to guess, it's about 2008 till about 2015. She was our office manager. And she came in, and we had been interviewing all of these, these men and women for this potential position, and we would ask them funny questions, you know, like we would ask them about their passions, we'd ask them what their favorite movie was, and this, that, and the other. And Michael just walked in the door, and she says, I've been an anti-nuclear advocate for 30 years. And, you know, she came in, and she had cornrows in her hair, and was just this boisterous, you know, fun-loving personality, and it was just like, oh, you're our people, yeah. You know, and I think so many of our hiring decisions, like we, whether it's just because we ask enough questions, we, we do, you know, a multiple part interview process, there's a phone screening, and then you come in and you're going to meet with people from marketing and sales, even if you're not going to be anywhere near those parts of our business. We've just been really deliberate about finding people that we know are going to marry to our culture. I think we have been fairly successful. Our retention is really good in general, um, but we've been fairly successful in finding people that are passionate about our mission and our purpose, and 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 therefore they're going to sort of work harder uh, to be a part of it. Great, and and then I, I thought it was interesting, you know, looking at that top 
Workplace Award, uh, you know, 2017, and that happened to be the same year you you were awarded number one on the on the top 100 fastest growing companies. Was was that a was that a coincidence, or do you find that you know your purpose and culture, uh, you know, has, has impacted the the growth and success of GreenSpark? So it's interesting because the way that the top 100 measures your growth, right, which is the fastest growing company, right. And the way that it measures your growth is on sort of a three-year average growth rate, right? So that uh, 2017 award coincided with our B Corp certification in 2014. And so, as I said when I when I in my remarks when I spoke the night of the of that reception, you know, from the time we outwardly said that we were subscribed to a triple bottom line, we grew over 600. percent So, and we we believe that's absolutely linked. You, know, I, I mean. I don't know if we're naive towards there's some other possible reality, but for us, it's like so inherent that like people believe uh, in our business. And I think that that certification and our outward expression of it really links us to members of the community, businesses, institutions, et cetera. And I think it's really helped drive sales, which, you know, um, so I think from that perspective, it, it really helped us from the growth side. The, the top workplaces um, piece is so interesting for me because, um, fr- frankly, the employees did it. I had no idea it was being done. They they went out. All of our people went out and and put together the application and 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 went after that award and did all the survey work and all of the responsiveness with with that whole process. And I never even knew we applied. And so that's that's why it's more meaningful to me than anything because they thought that they should tell people that we were a good workplace. It wasn't an active effort of the owners or the management of the founders to say, we should tell everybody else that we're a good workplace. On, on some levels, that seems uh, self-righteous. I don't know what the thing, what the word would be like that. Oh, we should tell other people. No, our people went and said that. And, and so that's why it's been, uh, it was a rewarding process for me. Um, and then to specifically receive the leadership award, I was just, it was a little dumbfounding because I think, I think, frankly, when you subscribe yourself to the concept of servant leadership, the, to the concept of sort of, you know, trying to elevate the people around you and not trying to elevate yourself in the midst of them, um, you, you, um, you just don't expect things like that. Hmm. That's powerful. It, it really is powerful. Now, is there anything that uh, you, you mentioned kind of what, what inspired your, your sustainability focus all those, all those years ago. Is there anything that helped evolve you on that, that servant leadership path or that, that kind of mindset as a conscious leader? So in, interestingly, I am a Vistage member. I, I have been a Vistage member since 2014. So uh, again, along the growth path, one of the first meetings uh, with my Vistage group was about our BHAG, what's our big, hairy, audacious mm-hmm. goal. And that was when we were sort of a middling couple million dollar company. And we said, you know, we got to get to this point. We've got to establish scale as a business. And um, what, what's interesting about that is that was a driver that the, the Visage process was a driver, directly a driver on the sort of capitalism side of it. Um, and all of the members of my Visage group are, are like really awesome, wonderful people, but large in part, they, they didn't even understand. They sort of looked at me like I had lobsters coming out of my ears that I was interested in driving purpose over profit. And as a contrarian by nature, I think it that process really drove me to sort of put that home, right? To, to, to sort of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing on this. I'm going to keep pushing on this. And so 
learning from all of those guys and the different types of leaderships really emboldened the type of, for me, the type of leader that I am. And John Kalia, my Vistage chair, has, has driven that home. And, and I think he and I are, are, are very similar in many ways and very different in many ways. And, and it's been a driver for me that whole time because you're amongst people that lead brilliant, wonderful, mission-driven businesses, often that they, you know, to, to your term, the unconscious capitalist or unconscious conscious capitalist. They don't even know that they're a really good business, um, but they, they lead in so many different ways and sort of, sort of learning all those different styles emboldened my own as, as to be the person that I am. Interesting. Very interesting. So along that path, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're speaking to a few people that are, uh, you know, running, running good businesses, but not, not having that, that same ethos. Were you able to convince any skeptics or do you have any, do you have any others, you know, whether or not in that group or, or otherwise, anything that you kind of tell them when you're, when you're talking about this more purpose and, and culture driven way of, of having a company? Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a constant refrain. So I don't, I don't know, as you asked me that question, I don't know that I have a specific example of, of someone that I said, you know, you really should um, think about becoming a B Corp. But um, it's kind of a constant refrain from my perspective when people ask, you know, well, what does that mean? And we use it. We're forward-facing that we're a B Corp. When we market ourselves or when we're in our sales process, we, we, we let people know we're a B Corp. So it's a great intriguing conversation started for many people that aren't familiar with the concept. And so um, it's sort of a constant refrain. And, and so when, when we're in the door um, as, a, as a solar company, right, we don't have to talk a lot about sustainability. We don't have to talk about a lot about the purpose of solar and how it meets my mission of climate change. It's not really the driver. The driver is economics, right? So it, it, the, the B Corp concept, um, because we're likely talking about someone that also has sustainability in their mission, otherwise we wouldn't be having that solar. It's sort of easy to say, hey, if you're going to go solar, you should sort of think you're a really cool company. Your people love working. You should really think about doing this B Corp thing. And so we've had we 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 sort of push that all the time, you know. Hmm. And and then is there is there something specifically that that led you to want to make it official and and get that B Corp certification as you're as you're moving on the process? It sounds like it was part of your DNA that that ethos, you know, the the unconscious conscious capitalist or the you know the the, the B Corp in in ethos. But what what made you decide to go through the process? So when we started our solar business, we joined a group called Amicus Solar Cooperative, which is a national purchasing cooperative of now some uh, 52 or 53 solar independently owned solar businesses like GreenSpark. Um, when we joined in 2012, I believe we were about the 20th or 22nd member, something like that. And so we've grown that. We've been part of grow. We're a member owner of that company and we, we've been growing that ever since. And, and, and every meet, every year we go and, and have a retreat with all of those companies twice a year. And it's been a really meaningful learning experience about the solar business, about how to do certain things within the solar business, marketing, selling, installing, engineering, or whatever have you. Um, but there just became a really sort of outward challenge to the membership, like, Who's the next to become the next B Corp? And it was so obvious how aligned we were with these other companies that it really became became like, oh, like we do all those things. You know, to your point, it's in our DNA. It's beneficial for us to express this. 
And so, and so we did, we took the challenge. And so uh, about 50 or 60% of the Amicus members are B Corps. And every time we still get together, we say to the rest of them, like, let's go, <laughs> you know, and stuff positive like that. Positive peer pressure. Yeah, positive peer pressure, not public shaming. Yeah, no, it's, it's a been a really positive influence on our business, that group of people, both from a informational perspective, but just like, just like the sort of B Corp process, that group of people is always raising the bar. They're, they take it and they say, look, how do we get better on quality? How do we get better on safety? Those, those people are always driving that forward. And so it's, it's, it's just like the sort of B Corp certification, you know, it gets harder every time. Right. And so that's, that's, that's critical to keep moving the goalpost back for your business in that, in that way. So is there, was there anything either going through the, the first time or with recertification or, you know, maybe looking to when your next re recertification is, kind of things that you've learned through the process or areas that maybe you identified that you could, you could benefit from? I, I think the biggest thing that we've learned through the process is it's about documenting it, right? So you may have an excellent paternity and maternity leave policy. But if you don't formalize that in the charters of your business and your bylaws or whatever, it's not actually going to help your B Corp score and it's not going to actually drive your business because there's no, you know, so it is that formality that I think is what makes the B Corp process so successful. It's the concept of they want you to put it on paper for all to see that you're doing this stuff. And I think that's right. I think it should be because then you're, you continue to subscribe to those things over and over and over again. And so um, I think that part of it, right, the, the part about how do you institute these things in a formal way, in a legal and gover governance way within your business, that really um, is, is it's what's learning. And, and if we got all of that done, whether it's our employee ownership policy, which we continue to want to do better on, whether it's our benefits packages, you know, paternity, maternity leave, our volunteer policies, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is. It's like you got to get that in there. You got to get that formalized in public so then it counts and then it drives you forward. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, you, you may be a, an enlightened leader that wants to do all these wonderful things. And, and not that, you know, the very next leader that comes along is going to dismantle everything necessarily if you've done a decent job of, of, you know, preparing them. But, you know, over time, if those things aren't encoded, aren't written down, then it can sort of, that, that, that can erode over time. And so I think that that's a really important piece of it. Well, and, and succession, right? If I get bonked over the head and I'm not there, I don't want GreenSpark to change. I want those things to be forever within the, the construct of that company. And so, you know, the, the, all of that becomes important in, in, in making it permanently a part of the culture and not just, um, not just sort of fly in the, flash in the pan. Yeah. Now, now, are there anything that you can point to, kind of best practices, culture-wise, kind of things that you do at GreenSpark that you feel like really contributes positively to your culture that other listeners may be able to learn from or experiment with? I, th I think it's just a, it's a constant desire to do better. Uh, you know, I know and believe how imperfect we are both as a business and in the leadership of our business. We're, we're imperfect, right? So we're not good enough at being transparent on every issue or on our financials with our employees. We're not good enough at, um, you know, getting the, the, the retirement plans going as fast as we can. We're not, we're not good enough at, at any of that. And so it, it's, it's, it's that you desire to do better on behalf of your people, on behalf of your community that I think 
continues to drive us. And and so for for me, as much as anything, it's just I I want to I want to do better. Like in life, like why wouldn't you want to do better the next time, right? So um, I think more than anything, it's that. And in our business. Um, we've gone through some hard times, actually very recently gone through some really hard times and what those hard times drove, um, and, and, um, um, uh, really embedded even more deeply in our culture is, is to reopen the lines of communications between all members of the organization Mm. and all stakeholders in the organization. And so, uh, that's really been for the last, uh, six or eight months, that's really been a big part of, I think our revitalization as a business and our growth as a business is is to really open up the book. So be more transparent and communicate more. That's been that's been a big driver lately. Okay. Now, if you are maybe have somebody listening, or, or maybe you're you're out in the community talking to to folks about your B Corp status, talking about your culture and, and those sorts of things, is there anything that you'd recommend to a a, a, a curious uh, business owner on? where to get started? Like what's a few good first steps or, or ways to start on this journey if they're, if they're not quite there yet, but they're, but they're interested and they're, and they're inspired by your example? Um, I, I, I think the answer to your question is measure yourself, right? And so there's the local program measure up, which I'm totally in love with the concept of um, this program, right? So measure up is a local program where you can sort of do a preliminary B Corp screening to sort of get a handle on, you know, are you really a mission and vision and, and values-led business, right? And so it sort of um, is a sort of preliminary step in the process of going towards B Corp certification. So I think that's a really good thing to do. I mean, I think it's really important because I think we often think of ourselves maybe as better than we are, right? And the reality is in, in 2019 and going forward, right? The solutions are going to come from business, right? We need to fix problems in our society. We need to do all of these sort of things. Solutions are going to come from business. So we should do it really well. We should run these businesses really well. And in order to do that, you should know how well you're doing with someone else's eyes, not with your own. And that's the type of stuff that measure up and B Corp certification and that sort of stuff does for you. So I really recommend that people get get into that process, get into engage. Yeah, that's something our, our conscious capitalism chapter has been partnering with the, with uh, the Measure Up folks on a handful of events and, and initiatives. Really, you know, like like Kevin, you know, you all went through this this extensive process, certification process. For those that don't know, you can take what they call rather than the the B impact assessment, you can take the the quick impact assessment, and maybe not necessarily get a a certification, but at least get a get a pretty good barometer of where you stand now. And I'll link up in the show notes to uh, to take a look at. Getting, getting at least a look at, at what you uh, might be able to take a look at for, for measure up and, and see, where, see where you stand. I, I think that measurement's really important, that old, uh, you know, if you can measure it, you can, you can manage it, you can improve it sort of added to business. I, I, if I could just say one other thing, I think get feedback from your people, you know, um, and, and get it anonymously. I think one of the things that I suffer from is I have a, um, I, do, I do believe that I am, um, a servant leader to my people, but I'm also a sort of, um, uh, a, 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 a big personality, you know, I, um, a, 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 so I think I sometimes intimidate my people. So they might 
not come to me with all of their thoughts and all of their ideas. And so you may not be getting the feedback directly that you assume you would get. So do it anonymously. Get people to write it down, do a survey monkey or whatever it is to actually gather that data and understand what people like or don't like. And you can do that without any outside help. Just, you know, do you enjoy, do you enjoy your job? I mean, you know, I think about like my, my parents and, and the concept to them of someone actually asking them, like, do you like your job? Like, they didn't get that question. Well, what is wrong with us? Like, if people don't like their job, like, what, what do we think is going to motivate them? What do we think is going to drive them forward? So as, as capitalists, as, as business owners, we should really ask that question because I think the return is they work, harder, they work harder for the business. The business becomes more successful. And it's sort of, it's sort of it seems very obvious to me. Yeah. Now, now, is there anything that any, you know, feedback, whether on your leadership or, or culture-wise, any, anything that has led to, to some kind of new insight or change or new program or anything that you've been working on? Interesting question. Um, no, I think I, I think I sort of hit on this, you know, earlier and, and, and maybe about what I just said as well. It's just kind of like transparency is a big, a big key focus. You know, I tend to be... Um, at times tend to be the type of guy that goes in my office and sort of works on an idea and then, and then comes out and spits out something to, to my people and my team. And, 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 you know, having gone through some, some challenges over the last year, uh, people specifically said like, let's not do that anymore. Let's get these things out here in the open. And so I've been trying to do a much better job, whether it's when I'm working on the financials of the business or, or, or a new business model or, you know, what, whatever it is, you know, like, let's talk about this. Let's let's make this a more broad effort than just, you know, Kevin cooking up something in his office and trying to figure it out. And so, you know, we've been more broad about, you know, like things that we want to do next and, and what are the business models that are going to drive us forward where, where normally I would sit and model things with spreadsheets and evidence, you know, let's have a conversation about that uh, um, openly. And, and so we just had a, a corporate retreat uh, about two, two or three weeks ago now. And we spent the whole day just, just talking about all these sort of things and getting it out in the open and trying to figure out both internal process wise, new products wise, um, you know, whatever it is, like, what are the things that are going to make us better? How are we going to get forward? Hmm. Great. Yeah, I, I think that actually a friend of mine, Bob Whipple, he calls himself the trust ambassador. And, uh, and, and that radical candor is one of the things that, that he's found is really important in building a, a trust, trusting culture, uh, you know, being able to share those things, being transparent. And, and especially when there is, uh, you know, some kind of some kind of challenge like that or, or difficult situation or downturn or whatever it is, uh, you know, you can you can bounce back a, a lot quicker if you're if you're being transparent, sharing, communicating openly, those sorts of things. So, When if everybody's rowing the boat in the same direction? Yeah. And you got to know that they're rowing the boat in the same direction in order for them to be, right? So it's all important. So how do you then, how do you measure success? Like, like measuring what matters beyond, obviously, profits, uh, you know, is, is certainly important. I know that you have a, a B Corp certification. Is there anything else kind of on your, on your dashboard of things that either personally or company-wide that, that are really important metrics to you? So for me right now, my focus is on stability. So we're, we're a, we're a one-trick pony at the moment, right? We're a, solar, we're a solar business. And, like, I live in Rochester, New York. Well, just so happens it snows here in the winter. So what happens when it's snowing in January and I don't have any work to do? So how do we balance that out? How do we, how do we, we, we add, 
add lines of businesses that give us a sort of more consistent and constant revenue stream? How do we create a stable base from which to grow? Um, you know, the commercial business in solar, we can do really huge contracts and there are these really lumpy cash flows. And, um, and so one of the things for us right now is, is just like, we got to stabilize everything, right? Whether that's from a, uh, revenue perspective, a profitability perspective or whatever perspective it is, like just like making sure that's there because you can't provide people quality of life at their job if there's a constant stress on those sort of things. Sure. So, so bringing that level of stability, bringing that level of maturity to our business. Look, we've been around 18 years. I want to be around. I, I have every intention of retiring at the desk I stand in, right? So like, you know, and I've got I don't know, a lot of years left um, to, to try and do this with. So for, from that perspective, it's like we want to make sure we're here for that and we've got to stabilize it. So um, as we think about adding new products, new services, new forms of revenue to the business and trying to do those in ways that create a more sort of consistent basis, um, that'll measure success. You know, uh, and, then, and then the second part of it is employee ownership. So we're we're dedicated. Our business is, is we have uh, about a dozen uh, or more um, employee owners now, and we've gone through sort of the process of doing that. But we've always promised that we were going to be an employee-owned business, and we want that to be true. So uh, we want to we, we get into the process of trying to understand whether we can become an ESOP or a worker-owned co-op or whatever it is. We really want to fully engage ourselves in the process of trying to understand what the right employee ownership model is. I think that for us will be a really big evolution. It'll, it'll obviously increase our B Corp score and all that kind of stuff. But to me, that's what it is, you know. And then the, the third is on our mission, right? Um, ultimately, our mission is related to climate change. And so you can, l l like you said in the intro, you can measure that in megawatts. Hmm. Um, but for me, it's about, it, the, the, the measurement is about engagement. Um, and so just in the group, you know, you came with yesterday, it's like our challenge in our line of business is how do we convert the reality that every person has an economically feasible opportunity to engage in improving their carbon footprint. Every person, no matter your income level, no matter your location, every person has that opportunity. But that's not part of everybody's everyday life. And so we have to find ways to communicate around these issues that allow people to understand that those decisions can benefit you in your everyday life. This is the simplest one. Drives me insane. Go into a bathroom. Use the restroom. Wash my hands. Walk out. Just switch the light switch off. Right? That electricity is 90% chance that electricity is burning carbon to make it. At, at home, saves you a little bit of money on your RG&E bill if you turn that light switch. Like, it's just like, but, but we don't, we haven't, we haven't done the work. We haven't been successful in explaining to everyone how that simple choice, it benefits your pocket. We don't even have to talk about how it benefits your carbon footprint. It benefits your economics as a person. And so like that, broadening that engagement to every side of our society to me is, is how you, and I don't know how you're going to, how we're going to measure that, but, but that's where impact will truly be shown where impact, the impact is how many people understand their opportunity to be engaged in improving our plight in this sort of climate crisis. Mm.
I think that's powerful. And, and, and I'm wondering as well, when you're, when you're talking about that kind of, that mission that you have, what, what do you see, um, you know, as a, as a barrier or what are some of the main kind of objections, I guess, both for residential and commercial customers uh, when, when they're looking at making, a, making an investment in, in solar or not? Is it, is it that they just don't know that they could be saving money or, or you know, what are, some of the, what are some of the barriers to further growth? The broad term that I use is incumbencies, right? So you have, you know, in, in for, for you to want to go solar, something has to change, right? So this could be, you know, this can be a number of things. You may realize that I can go solar and save money. You may realize that you can go solar and do your part in a climate change, from a climate change perspective. Um, and so... What, what's, what's the challenge to any of that is what's incumbent. Like, it's really easy to just go home and flip that light switch on and go eat your dinner. It's not hard. Like, that's not a challenging process. So for you to become conscious of a different way of doing that, that's overcoming the incumbent and simple solution, which is just flip that light switch on, right? When you put solar on your home and you have solar on your home, and I'm sure you're conscious of this. I'm sure you look at your app on your phone and see how much you make and see how much you used. And I mean, I call my wife at home and say, you know, no one's home. Like, let's turn the air conditioner <laughs> off or, you know, like, like, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's how do we engage everyone in understanding that those simple decisions, whether you're buying your power from RGE, you're getting it from your own solar or whatever it is, but we have to engage everyone to understand that those simple decisions are meaningful in the challenge that we've created for ourselves, which is we burn too much carbon-based fuel and we're warming our planet. So, but every one of those decisions, simple as they might be, adds up to part of the solution. Yeah, I, it's funny because it, it's almost become a, like a gamification thing for me. So I, it was a couple falls ago that I got, that I got my uh, solar panels up on my roof. And, and so this past year was the first full year of, of summer, you know, so I could bank all my, all my solar credits. And, and it was, I made it about, I probably needed an extra two or three weeks where I was actually paying for paying for electricity because I I almost made it throughout the whole winter even in even in snowy cloudy Rochester New York uh, with with my solar panels without over the course of the year you know banked up enough during the summer to to almost make it through the winter so now that's like my goal for for this coming you know winter right so I think that you do become more conscious of it when you when you bring it to to the fore but I guess it is a, it's a challenge to to get that kind of consciousness and values alignment. Right. And, 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 and it, it's how do we get that, whether you go solar with us or not, whether you become a, a customer of ours or, or even a customer of someone else's or, or whether you make a decision to go with, you know, geothermal energy or an air source heat pump or an electric vehicle or whatever these things, you know, go buy your, and when you go buy your next, um, you know, weed whacker, buy an electric one. You know, when, when you, and as you start to make these little decisions, like how do, you know, we've got to engage in people starting to understand that those, each one of those little potential decisions or large potential decisions are, in fact, you doing your part to help with that problem. That's a, this wasn't a setup, but it, it's funny. I, I've been living in my house for seven years. So I had a seven-year-old lawnmower that didn't start this year. And, and so when I went to buy a new one, I got a, I got an electric lawnmower. And, <laughs> and now you don't have to wake the kids up when you move Exactly. Lawn, right? It's awesome. I'm loving it so far. So well, part of that, I think though, as well is, you know, sometimes those investments can take, uh, you know, it, it can be a longer term ROI than some, than some business owners who are, 
I don't know, focus on the quarterly numbers, really, really short term focused. And I think that part of the conscious capitalism approach is, you know, when you look at a long enough time horizon, uh, most of these most of these things do make economic sense, too. Uh, I, I'm curious, though, if there's anything in your own business where you've maybe had to make some kind of short term sacrifice or, you know, make some kind of decision where in the short term, you know, you're prioritizing uh, you know your purpose and culture over maybe those short-term profits. Even though I think you and I would both would both recognize that in the long term it was probably the more more profitable decision. Yeah, I mean we there there's a pile of them. You know, um, I think one uh, um, one of our customers last year uh, had a near fatal accident, and you know what are, what are we going to do? I have to pay these medical bills or I have to do. So we gave him the solar system, you know, it was the right thing to do. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's so many of them along the way where they're driving it. You know, I, I mean, the simple ones happen hourly, if not daily, right? It's like, Hey, my kid's sick. I got to go home. Great. Go work from home. What are you asking me for? Like, I'm going to keep you away from taking care of your kid, you know? Um, whether whether one of the one of the guys wants to take paternity leave, like yeah, you get paternity leave here. These sort of things they become, you know, to, to your terminology earlier, they become part of our DNA. But like they, we we have to make those decisions every day. You know, like can you telecommute so you can care for your family? Can you, you know, whatever they are, it's like just open the doors to if I can aid in any way in making your life better overall. My our beliefs subscribe us to the fact that you'll do better as an employee of the company towards our products, our profits, and our mission. And so it really it really comes down to that sort of simple level of decision making process. And you know you don't again you, it's just like that light switch we talked about earlier. It's like you don't really think about it, right? Someone comes and asks you for that sort of simple thing, like no, I don't want you to record that as personal time or vacation. Like it's okay. You know, it's okay, and and we want you to go take care of your family. Hmm. We 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 tr- tried to have with our with our recent conscious capitalism conference. We were talking about how to make Rochester a a beacon for conscious capitalism. You know, I think that you've certainly shown and and research with conscious capitalism, research with B Corps, research with best companies to work for has shown that in the long term these companies do end up making more money. Uh, they they usually have lower turnover. Uh, they have more engaged employees, all, all those, all those sorts, sorts of metrics that, that impact the bottom line. And we said, well, gosh, if this is true inside of a company, what if we as a region came to be known for having a bunch of organizations that did that? Hopefully it would impact our, our regional economy, you know, bottom line in a positive way. Maybe a talent attraction recruitment strategy may even be a company attraction strategy, uh, kind of like the, the consortium that you're a part of where everybody's nudging everybody to become a B Corp, right? So uh, what, what do you think it would take to have a you know, have the business community as a whole. I mean, obviously, there's there's climate change. There's there's global issues that we're dealing with. Uh, there's also plenty of of local issues with with poverty and and all sorts of things. H- how do you think we can help evolve business leaders to want to tackle more of those problems? Because you said earlier, you know, that the business community and and capitalism is going to have to tackle some of those problems. My, I sort of two part. I'll give you a sort of two part thought or answer. One is be present with solutions, right? So um, Rochester, you know, has gone through its ups and downs as an economy and everything. And and I see 
you know, one of the biggest challenges in the Rochester economy going forward being, you know, how much does it cost to get power to a new facility, right? And so if we want to build new buildings and, and do new things and bring in new businesses and new places of employment, et cetera, like our grid is so old, you know, and so we've got to get power to those new facilities and we can't economically burden those new facilities with some significant infrastructure upgrade just to get them power. I think there's going to be a very limiting factor to the economy of Rochester going forward. So we have to come up with solutions to stuff like that, right? So we've got some solutions to stuff like that, but it's, you know, so we can do solar and storage, then you don't have to pay $6 million to get a new line run from the, 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 the warehouse. So it's about solutions to me. I obviously am speaking about a solution that I'm not only passionate about, but one that I can, but we as sort of leaders in the space or, or, or members of the ethos or whatever you want to call it, we have to be solutions oriented to people. So we have to present to new businesses and incumbent businesses. We have to present them with opportunities uh, in this. And, and I think too many um, of the dialogues that go on are um, uh, less about how these things solve your business problems and more about awareness, right? So we're, we're telling you that you could be aware of this, but it's like, are we really giving you an opportunity or solution on how you can improve your own business? And so I think we need to be solutions oriented. And I think we need to, 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 to cast that outward, whether it's a sustainability solution like I'm sort of focused on with my day-to-day um, or whether it's an em- employment um, solution like uh, Ty was talking about in the meeting yesterday, whatever have you, like it's, it's about, you know, creating and presenting those solutions outwardly as, as opportunities for other businesses to um, sort of matriculate their way into being sort of forces for good. Um, the second thing I'll tell you is it's got to get institutionalized. It's got to get put into law, you know? So you look at um, really forward-looking cities, and there's you know there's places like Boston. Um, Boston's got a mandate out now that every bus, every city bus that comes offline gets replaced with an electric bus. Why can't we do that here? You know, uh, San Francisco, you you cannot build a new building or a new home that's not solar ready. Hmm. Why can't we do things like that? We can do things like that here in Rochester. So, you know, it's like it's and, and those are those are laws passed by city councils, passed by mayors, et cetera. And um, and, and we've got to push to get those things institutionalized here so that as we recreate the economy in Rochester, which is which is an ongoing process, right, that we're doing it in the right way. Right. And, and again, I focus on sustainability solutions because it's what I know best. Much of the other stuff for me is 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 maybe. Um, lucky or part of our DNA. I don't, I don't really know what the right description is, but, but the reality is for us, we focus on sustainability. So I, I could think through those more appropriately, but it's like we, we've got to get to that point where our communities are subscribed to, you want to come here, you want to live here, you want to build a new business here? Cool, no problem. It's got to be green. Yeah, yeah. I think so much of this comes down to kind of that self-reinforcing cycle of when you have conscious businesses and then you need conscious consumers that are that are aware of, uh, you know, what their impact is and, and aware of trying to align the dollars that they're spending with those kind of companies. And then it takes investors that are investing in a socially responsible way or trying to have a social impact. And and when those things start to build on each other, and, and I think that people, hopefully we get to the point where, where people demand those sorts of those sorts of laws and solutions to say gosh I, it's it's embarrassing to not you know to, to not have these when when the solution is out there and oftentimes if you, at least if you look at the longer term time horizon the, the ROI is there as well right 
So I guess looking to the future then, as, as we start to wrap up a little bit, what do you, what do you see? You said focusing a little bit on, uh, on more stability. You talked a little bit about uh, being more, more work on. Is there, is there anything that you see for yourself coming up in, in the next five or 10 years for, for you and for GreenSpark that you're dreaming about? Um, yeah, I mean, I think stability is driven by, um, for us, will be driven by a couple of things. One, we want to do sort of more um, investment and ownership. So some of the things we're doing, like, you know, we, we, we happen um, uh, to find ourselves in friendship with Bob Bechtold in 2003, right? And so our business is now located in a carbon-free microgrid. Well, this is this is a replicable business model everywhere we go. So what I'd like, you know, one of the things we want to do is get out there, present that opportunity to other places and sort of get those built so that you, you sort of do that sort of thing. But we want to we want to sort of figure out a way that we can hold on to them and host new businesses as they come in and and figure out how that uh, um uh, might work. Uh, we want to really get into the intensive agriculture opportunity. The um, as our farming communities continue to be challenged by, you know, low dairy prices and low soy prices, low corn, low apple prices, whatever have you, and the challenge the economics of the agriculture community around here, you're seeing a conversion to this sort of intensive agriculture con con concept. The problem with intensive agriculture is energy. It needs heat. It needs it needs electricity, and so we just so happen to be experts in that. So we really <laughs> want to get engaged in um, the the concept and reality of of trying to make sure that uh, those businesses um, and that evolution of our agriculture business in the state is has that opportunity, and we don't want to let it get squashed by expensive electricity when we can do it cheaper and with no carbon. So like things like that, that we'll, that we'll engage in over time. And then, and then the last one is just uh, EV infrastructure, right? So if we're going to, if we're going to electrify our, you know, the way we get our electricity at our homes, we're going to be electrifying businesses. I believe there's about 6,000 electric cars in the greater Rochester area right now. That's expected to like just balloon insanely over the next 15 years. We're going to need charging infrastructure. We want to make sure that charging infrastructure isn't just drawing an electron from the grid, from sure. you know, a, a coal plant or, or a gas plant or even a nuclear plant. We want to make sure that's coming um, in a completely green carbon-free way. And so um, figuring out ways to, to make sure that Rochester is on the horizon for um, you know, the, the electrification of our transportation fleet as well. Great. Well, uh, as we as we wrap up, then if hopefully we've at least created some some unconscious conscious capitalists uh, and made them a little bit more conscious of the decisions that they're making and and maybe maybe more conscious of the decisions uh, that their that their businesses are making. Uh, where can people find out more about you if they maybe want to see if solar makes sense for their house or their business? We're at GreensparkSolar.com. Great. Well, I appreciate everything that you're doing. I actually also saw on your website that there's a place where you can even get a solar cell phone charging station at an event, uh, that you can request a solar cell phone charging station. So talk about being conscious of every little last detail. So um, I'm gonna, I am gonna—I didn't know about that up until now, but uh, I'm excited about that. Maybe maybe you have to think about it. We've actually, about a year ago, we're at, at GreenSpark to get a tour as well. And they, they've got a pretty impressive facility. You can see that that call Culture and that that energy and action and and they had a place on their website. I don't know if you're going to get flooded or anything, but there's there's a lot of there, there's a place where you can request a tour as well. So um, definitely go check that out, Kevin. Thanks so much for all that you're doing to create more uh, more conscious businesses in Rochester, being really a thought leader and really showing how that culture and that growth can can really be self reinforcing and uh, showing us a way for the future for more conscious capitalism. Cool. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. 
This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.